Yes, that was a violin, just in case you thought you'd clicked the wrong button or something. Welcome to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the most diverse and creative string players on the planet. I'm your host, Matt Bell. Our guest this week is a super important guy in the electric violin community. He doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves as an expert in the field, as a community builder, or as an artist. In the next hour or so, I hope you get to know him and appreciate him as all of those things. Trevor Dick is originally from Nigeria and now resides outside Toronto, Ontario. You can hear the world influence in his music. This tune, Afrikia, is named after the Latin word for Africa. I'm going to make a bit of a break from tradition here in this episode. Normally, I do very little editing of the order in which we talk about things. Trevor and I got talking about a bunch of different things before we talked about his latest album, where all the music we'll hear today is found. And he did a great job of giving some background information on all of these songs. So I'm going to chop up that part of the interview and splice it in as we listen to a number of his tunes. So when we go to a musical break, you'll actually hear Trevor talk about the tune you're about to hear. That part of the conversation actually happened near the end of our talk, but I wanted you to hear it spread throughout. So... My apologies to Trevor for a lot of cutting and pasting, but he can tell his story a lot better than I can. So, let's get on with my conversation with Trevor Dick, rock star violinist. So, how's everything been, man? Doing well, thanks. Yeah. Surviving the quarantine okay? You know, it's a challenge for all of us, I'm sure. How have you been finding it? Uh, it's, uh, I'm spending a lot more time at home than I have in a long time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my wife is working from home. Fortunately, uh, her job is one of those that transitions real easy to working at home. Yep. And, uh, getting some landscaping done, getting some writing, some practicing and hanging out with my kids and, you know, all that. Yep. It's all good. I think there's probably more, uh work being done around the house than normal right now, you know, landscaping and jobs <laughs> yeah. around the house, little reto jobs that we've all been wanting to do and stuff. And yeah. No, so. no doubt. Yeah. Now I saw a video that you did with your, with your sons the other day, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, a first for us. They, you know, they're all musical and they've all, you know, taken lessons, uh, you know, most of them, um, you know, I mean, Music has to be a calling, right? So they they've music's been a big part of their lives, but it's not necessarily something that they plan to do, and um, they just love love it. And uh, actually, my youngest son, Liam, that was playing the violin, took lessons for a number of years, and then just kind of surprised us one day and just pulled out his violin, you know, and just started playing it like like no no tomorrow kind of thing. And just you know, he's got such a great ear; he could just play anything off the top of his head. Just surprised us all, and. Uh, you know, it was just, yeah, it was really neat. It was uh, kind of a neat thing to do. I mean, I've had to give up, uh, like a lot of people, a lot of bookings, a lot of concerts, probably at least 10 uh, so far. You know, we just don't know how many more will be canceled moving forward. And um, <clears throat> so it's been really, you know, an interesting thing to let go of that and then think, okay, what are we, you know, what should we be doing? You know, what, you know, I've been doing a lot of praying about, you know, Hey, what should, you know, God, what do you want me to do right now? And, and that kind of thing. And, um, 
yeah, and so it was just kind of neat to be able to spend some time as a family, actually, and just uh, that was a, a big, uh, you know, big blessing to all of us, and just try to bring some joy and hope in uh, the middle of everything that's going on, you know, so around Easter. Yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah. Now, you're in Canada. I'm in the U.S. Uh, the two governments have taken a little bit different take on this. Is the Canadian government doing a, a good job of taking care of musicians? Yes, Yep, so far. I mean, one of the challenges, though, is most musicians make a little bit of income um, in every way we possibly can. So even though um, at first, really, what was going on is that there was a great package for people who had lost all income. But the reality is you couldn't apply for it if you made a little bit of income um, for mm. that particular package. But then there's a new um, a new package that's coming in through um, Trudeau and the government uh, around... Um, you know, for musicians that are sort of gigging musicians that make uh, make a little bit of income on the side, you know, through teaching or whatever else we do, right? Recording and things like that. Sure. You know, we all have many sources of income, right? That's that's the only way you can do things and make a full-time career as a music artist, you know? So. Right. I mean, unless you're one of the big, big dogs, it's... Uh, and and. I guess this is going to hit those guys even harder because it looks like, at least in the U.S., there won't be any big tours for at least a year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have, uh, yeah, friends, friends in the music industry that you know they had a, they had a CD they were releasing right right this month, and Ugh. everything that they had worked towards for, and in some cases for their whole career. You know, like major interviews, major things uh, put together. The plug was just pulled on on that just huge amount of work, 10 years of work sometimes for some of these yeah. artists that just kind of, you know, had worked their lives towards this, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's heartbreaking. But, uh, you know, it just shows how frail uh, our world is and how frail just everything is. And it, it just, I think it's caused us all to um, just take a step back and examine our lives, examine sort of everything, a lot of things, right? It's been a lot no of soul doubt. searching and yeah. Well, I mean, it's, we sort of, life has always been uncertain, right? It's just that we thought certain things were more certain than it appears they really were. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, so, you know, uh, we just thought that. I guess I'm going to be able to go to church tomorrow or I'm going to be able to go on tour tomorrow or I'm going to be able to go to this place or that place and all of a sudden, boom, that's gone. And you go, oh, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how do you pivot? How do you, you kind of make the best use of this time? I mean, I think it's a great time to be doing some writing, doing some new things, um, spending time with your family, just some of these important, really important things that we can be doing. You know, um, I, I, I heard a quote, I think it might have been through um, Michael W. Smith, I think it was a concert he did online, and it was something like, you can, you can just kind of bury your sorrows in this time in Netflix, <laughs> or you can change the world. You can do something to try to change the world. And, uh, no you know, we can do, you, you know, it's just, yeah, but it's really tough because a lot of us as artists, as you know, we put our value, we put our fulfillment and value and self-worth in, um, in being an, being an artist performing for people, just what we get back from that. And, um, but you know, there's so much value in each of us beyond that, right? Like, um, 
you know, we're intrinsically loved and valued, not by what we do, by, but by who we are. And we have to remember that. And I think this is, this is what this is causing us to maybe hopefully do a little bit is just examine some of those things, examine some of those motives, some of the ways that, you know, and, you know, as artists, we all struggle, right? We struggle with, uh, self-worth, uh, comparing mm. ourselves with others, you know, all those things that artists, you know, struggle sure. with. And, um, you know, I, I, as an artist, I just want to be who I am, who, you know, my calling live out, you know, just that uniqueness of who we each are, you're, you're unique, Matt, and what you do and what you're, you know, what God's called you to do. And, you know, my faith is big. You can hear I am referring to God a bit, but my faith is just a big part of who I am. And I'm just very open about talking about my faith and, you know, sharing my faith whenever I can, because I think it's just, yeah, that's just who I am. So. And that's great. That's, yeah, that's brought a lot of strength to me, um, my faith in, uh, I have a fo- I, I'm a follower of Jesus and, and um, everything I do and just, uh, I believe my calling, uh, just how I've been shaped and even in my music and what I feel I do each day, it, it kind of comes from that point, that place. And um, yeah, so anyway. Yeah, uh, so talking about that church playing in churches and stuff, you, the more artists you talk to, the more you hear, Hey, I got started singing in church or I got started playing in church. And it, and it, churches have always been a huge, it's where I was inspired to play the violin. My mother was a pipe organist at a church and I was sitting on an organ bench next to her when a violinist played with the choir. And I Mm -hmm. was about two and a half years old and went, I want to do that. Um, so and then as an electric violin shop, we hear from people all the time that, hey, I want to buy an electric violin so I can play in my church. And it's so I think throughout history and in the world today, that has been a huge place where people have an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, especially string players. It's always been a really popular instrument in churches. Um, and then players mo- in most modern churches today, there's an amplification requirement, Right. So enter people like you who are, are experts on amplified violin and have done a ton of YouTube reviews and, and all that kind of stuff. Talk about sort of uh, how you started experiencing playing amplified violin in church settings and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a very similar upbringing to you, Matt, maybe not with a pipe organ, but I sat, uh, my mom played the piano. We had an, uh, an organ on the other side of the church and, and, you know, sort of, it was, that was back when there's the only thing in the church was a piano on one side, at least in our upbringing, a piano on one side, an organ on the other. And, um, slowly my mom kind of incorporated and started getting us to play as a family. I, um, you know, I started violin when I was only seven years old and, um, just joined in along with my mom and, uh, she played violin. Our whole family did seven kids in our family, six boys and a girl. And, and, uh, you know, I played along with uh, the hymns and the songs, uh, worship songs and that kind of thing at church. And that's kind of, uh, I could play all those songs by ear. In fact, my mom said that from the youngest age, probably age two, I was humming a lot of those songs. But be, uh, before that, I mean, a big part of what crafted me and kind of shaped me is I was actually born in Africa. My parents were missionaries in Africa. And um, my dad, in fact, was a doctor, and he delivered me in a little schoolhouse in the middle of the jungles of Nigeria. So that's kind of how I came into the world. Um, My dad was a sax player, uh, but we tragically lost my dad in a car accident when I was four years old. So that kind of really shaped me, born in Africa, 
that shaped kind of even the music that I enjoy. I have a real world, uh, like I really enjoy music from all over the world, uh, different world styles of music. And then um, when my mom moved back to Canada, uh, she raised us as a single mom, uh, put us into you know music lessons, just took a lot of sacrifices, but just has a real uh, strong faith again. Um, um, you know, if people are curious about my background, I do have, uh, I did, I do have on my YouTube channel, I, I have shared my story on there. People can hear my full story there, but I've had, I've gone through a lot, uh, from just growing up as a, as an orphaned boy, really in many ways. And, um, um, gone, you know, I've had other struggles too, that I've had to work through, but music's always been a huge part of my life. So we're going to take a bit of a left turn here and let Trevor talk about his latest album, New World, and then we'll listen to the track here. But that New World album is, um, the whole concept behind that New World album is is really just that idea that we live in, a, in many ways, a broken world. I mean, we've seen that with this pandemic, um, kind of just um, a world that's really in balance they say that the world, you know, just sits on this incredible, just this perfect angle on axis. And if the world was just knocked off of axis just by one degree, that parts of the world would burn up and other parts would freeze. Like, it's just really incredible, the world that we live in, in so many ways and complexities. And, um, but I wrote um, New World again, just it really ties in with my, my own faith and my perspective in that I really believe that even though we live in a broken world, I believe that um, there's hope for renewal and a new world. And, um, and uh, the title track is actually uh, a pairing of the New World Symphony and uh, What a Wonderful World by, by uh, Louis Armstrong. Kind of a neat story behind that song. Um, Dvorak was an, a, an adventurer and uh, he loved to go on uh, uh, he really was an adventurous person. In fact, he got on a sailing ship and he crossed uh, the Atlantic on a sailing ship to go and see the New World, the story goes. And he was so moved by the beauty of North America as he landed in, I think, Newfoundland and then kind of went down the coast through, through Nova Scotia and all the way down to New York. He was so moved by the beauty of the, the New World of Canada and the United States that as soon as he got back to Europe, he wrote the New World Symphony. It's just a beautiful, beautiful symphony, if you know that, as it was the last symphony that he wrote, number nine. And I think some of the music and, and some of the, uh, I think he was just really um, moved by not just the beauty of the country, but by the people, by the First Nation people groups and the African-American people that he met and everybody along the way and the stories and the culture. And I think some of the music he would have heard down in the down in the U.S. down in the New New York area was some of the African American music, and so I, I paired that with "What a Wonderful World" by Louis Armstrong. I felt that was a good fit, and that's why you kind of have this mashup.
Um, so speaking of amplification, though, I you know didn't know anything about electric violin or anything until I was about a teenager. I was early teens. I was in high school, um, and I got introduced to uh, Jean Luc Ponty by a friend uh, who played bass, and uh, we formed a band and um, started trying to lift some of the Jean Luc Ponty, some of his live live albums. Um, the, one of his live albums, uh, Aurora part one and part two was, I think some of the songs we were trying to lift and, you know, I think egocentric molecules or some of those, you know, really cool fusion rock fusion names kind of out there, spacey kind of names that he had for his songs back in the 19, you know, seventies, eighties. And, and that's how I got started. I actually got a, I had a, um, I, I just, I went to rate, do you remember that, that music store? I don't know if you had it in the States. It was called Radio Shack. Do you remember that store? Do you, <laughs> no? Yeah. Well, we had Radio Shack, but they didn't sell instruments. No, they didn't have instruments, but they had electronics. So, so I went built. there because way back then I didn't know anything about electric violence. And I found a, just a cheap uh, pickup. It was just a contact pickup. Mm-hmm. And I stuck it onto my acoustic violin uh, with some putty. My, I was, you know, you got to remember, I'm a classically trained kid. I was very talented. Um, people would would have called me a prodigy. I was playing major concertos and stuff from a very young age, and um, and here I show up to my violin lesson with this electric contact mic. I forgot to take it off, and my teacher, like in horror, <laughs> tries to take this off. It takes a little bit of the finish off my violin as she takes this thing off, and the putty oh, no. kind of, you know, a little bit of the varnish kind of gets ripped off. And um, anyway, she she kind of like you know, got all freaked out at me about this. But, you know, today, um, her name's Helwig von Konigsau, good German name, fantastic, yeah. fantastic teacher. Um, she today is just, you know, she's one of my biggest fan supporters today, um, just sees that the road I've taken is the road that's just been very unique to me. And that's how I got started with that cheap Radio Shack contact microphone that I stuck on my violin, plugged that into, I think it was like a, you know, whatever pedals my guitarist had in the band, you know, uh, sure. probably a distortion pedal. It was like like a cheap boss, uh, you know, distortion pedal and maybe a reverb or something. I don't even know what I had. And stuck it, you know, plugged it in and stuck it through whatever amp happened to be there, you know, where we were jamming. Yeah. And we tried to lift those solos. And that's how I got into it. And then I, you know, just started to listen to all kinds of uh, rock fusion, um, jazz fusion world music over the years. And Ended up going through University of Toronto. I, I was in the performance degree there uh, program at university. And um, very interesting story because I was, I was all set to be a concert violinist, a classical concert violinist. But while I was at the university, I started to, um, I was listening to more and more and more sort of rock fusion, jazz fusion um, electric violin and, um, as well as many other artists like, you know, Pat Metheny and, mm. you know, Yellow Jackets and some other bands, um, Uzeb, I don't know if you know that, uh, band, um, DJ Lockwood, you know, uh, you know, j- along with, you know, jazz violinists like, uh, like, uh, Jean-Luc Ponty and many others. Anyway, so I'm kind of just immersing myself here. I am studying classical music during the day, but I, I'm really just, li- I'm mostly listening to to fusion and rock fusion and things like that. And so, but I had this goal to be this concert violinist. And then one day I was, I was, you know, I was walking um, just down uh, Bloor Street, which is like the major street in Toronto, right? Fairly close to the uh, university. And in the store window, 
of this violin shop called Remini's, I see an electric violin. And it was like a prototype, kind of first of its kind. And the luthier of this violin shop, uh, his name's Zoltan Ari, he, uh, he, he, he basically had designed this, uh, this electric violin. It was very funky looking, a very re- really weird shape. It was actually crafted out of um, kind of like a resin plastic filled with foam. And uh, I was just so intrigued by this. I, I just walked right into the store right away. And I said, what is that? You know, I want to try that out. So I just went into a back room and they happened to have an amp back there and stuff. And a bunch of like rack mount uh, effect pedals kind of, but they were rack mounted. Like the old Roland Depp 5 and the Yamaha SPX90 and some of those. They're really fantastic, fantastic kind of studio rack mount effects and kind of got into the guts of those and just started to experiment with this thing. Anyway, as it turned out, long story short, when I went to do my um, third year, in third year you had to do like a, a juried recital. It was like a big okay. deal. And you'd you know, prepare your concerto and your concert piece and you know, a Bach solo you know, sonata. And you, know, you had a list of all these things you had to do during this recital. I asked if I could also perform this electric violin in my recital. You got to remember, like, this is University of Toronto, like, this is like the Juilliard of Canada, and, you know, there's no way, there's just no way, like, <laughs> I, I, this was just, you know, and you know what, you can talk to so many people, right, that had the same experience, there's so many yep. violinists out there, um, you know, on the Electric String uh, Players page on Facebook, you know, you can just hear the same story over and over again, mm-hmm. doesn't matter where you are, uh, many, many players had this exact same experience in their own bubbles, in their own worlds, me sure. in here in Canada and at University of Toronto, where it was kind of like, no, like you can't do that. You know, this isn't, you know, this isn't real music or this isn't a real instrument or whatever, you know. And, um, but I did it anyway. What I ended up doing is I did my full juried recital mm-hmm. and then I still performed the electric violin at the end. They just weren't going to mark it or. Sure. Keep, keep it. Yeah, as they're a, they're looking at it like it's a kazoo or something. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and I I I did a very. I mean, I did this arrangement. Um, I did an arrangement of show pieces and stuff from a musical. Anyway, I had quadraphonic sound. I had I had speakers. Oh, at, I had speakers in all four corners of the room, and I had the sound going around the room. Oh, that's awesome! Like it was wild with really weird delays, and it, you know, like I was just like I was doing crazy out of the box stuff even way back then. And it just blew away, like, every student that was there. They just thought it was just incredible. And, um, yeah, so that was just, you know, just a little bit of my my journey. And then, um, as it turned out, and I've seen this happen to me time and time again. I just see these as amazing gifts. Zoltan Ari just gave me, he basically said, Trevor, I just love what you're doing. Um, I want to make you a violin. So he just gave me one. He made a blue five-string electric a violin for me, custom, um, and um, designed uh, to my specs exactly. And um, I still have it today. It's my very first electric violin. That's and, amazing. Uh, and that's how I got started. And everybody knew me back then as the guy with the blue electric violin. Of course, you know, I wanted it to be blue because, as you know, Jean-Luc Pondy played blue electric violin. Of course. A lot of his early stuff. So, you know, it was just kind of some of the, some of the influence there was kind of sneaking through. So that's a little bit of my, just a little bit of my story. And, you know, just that, that, that's what got me started. And I, since then I've had, 
I've had a number of people just give me, just give me this incredible gift of an instrument. Um, and, um, and so that's just been huge. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So was that you, was your first five string then? That was my very first uh, five string. Yeah. Yeah. So how was your, how did you adapt from four string concert level violinist that fifth string? Was it easy or did it throw you? Didn't throw me at all. I just found it very quick and easy just to kind of, I've been one that could just pick up, you know, a guitar or anything and just kind of noodle around on it and figure it out. Right. It's not, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't too much to, to kind of, you know, I just kind of got used to, in fact, sometimes if I've been playing a lot of a electric on five string, as you know, or even I have a six string here right now that I've been uh, playing around with, you actually start, you start to miss that fifth string, right? It's like, oh, you, buddy. You know, Oh, we're, oh, 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 right. I want a four string now, you know, so. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> you, many of those licks that you about. develop are five string licks that you're running down to the C string and, and you come down to the G and you're about to reach for it and you're like, oh, I guess I better turn this thing around. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So Yeah, so many of the people that I talk to when they pick up a five string for the first time, a lot of them just take to it like a fish to water and some of them just, man, I just, I can't figure this out. But I think it's probably 90-10. I think probably 90% of people who pick up that five just either right away or within a couple hours. Doesn't yeah, take this, long. No. Yeah, this is a thing. Perpetuum, the very first song on the album. I mean, the album is very diverse. It's uh, it's very, I would, I would call, you know, really if you're to describe my music, I'm a rock, um, a progressive rock violinist, really progressive rock world fusion if you want to kind of define my style. And this album was was really my, kind of, it was meant to go out to the mainstream um, and be played in blues, rock, jazz festivals, basically. Perpetuum is kind of um, very Jean-Luc Ponty-ish, very fusion-ish. Um, has this repetitive motif, you know, bum, bum, ba -dum bum bottom it just keeps going on and on and on and it's that idea that um our world you know in time and space and um, um the the seasons the changing seasons the hours the minutes of the day it's this continuum of time and you know it's just that idea of of of, of, of just perpetual time and space and it kind of has that that kind of sound um so that's where that was coming from it's very very um it, that's that's the song that i do the big kind of midi violin solo in the center on
mentioned the Electric String Players Forum on Facebook. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places on the internet, mm-hmm. and it's a place that you built. Yeah, I was just, you know, I saw there was a need. I uh, I just love, you know, I you know, I love electric string playing, and I love uh, everything to do. It's, I mean, it's just been so big a big a part of my life, and uh, I just thought, you know what, I don't see a forum out there where people can just really openly talk about the gear they're using, um, the instruments they're playing, um, not only that, but the styles of music that we're hearing on there, right from, you know, Middle Eastern to um, parts of Asia and Africa. I mean, just, it's amazing, the diversity. And um, I had this feeling, you know, we all live in these bubbles. I, I think I even shared this on a video on the page, just we all live in these bubbles where we think that what we're doing is like the greatest thing. And you know what I'm saying? And we're the only people in the whole wide world that are, you know, are doing this. But the reality is there is incredible innovative stuff happening all over the world in every part of the world uh, in very unique ways that, um, you know, what, what we're seeing with that page is we're just seeing that diversity and it's becoming, um, it's, it's a lot harder to make claims that, okay, you know, what I'm doing is the only thing, right? You know what I'm saying? For sure. You can't. We are now, you know, there's, there's along with being, you know, a really an amazing supportive family. And that was, has been my hope because I, I just really wanted it to be this, not a competitive place or a place of, um, I wanted it just to be a real place of support, innovation, um, development, just, you know, and I think it's, it, it is that, and it's what, what's it, it's become. And, um, and that's the people, really amazing people on there that are just kind of, you know, wanting it to be that way too. But it's, uh, it's also a place of accountability, and I, I love that. You can't, you can't go on there and, you know, say this or that. You know, people are going to keep you accountable to what you're saying, if it's true or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah. I just, I think that's really good. It's good. It's made the world a much smaller place. It's, it's been a huge uh, support to many, many players on there. It's been good for uh, it's been good good for uh, the electric violin shop, eh? For you guys, I bet it's probably for sure. helped sell a lot of instruments, and it's I just so. good. <laughs> it's good for it's good for everybody. It's helping to push the uh, the industry forward. It's helping with innovations. Um, I don't think MIDI technology, for instance, to give you an example, is there. Right there, it's not there yet. Um, but we are, um, pushing the envelope. There's people on there. Um, you know, I call them the mad scientists, right. Of the, of the Mm. page that are doing these really cool things. And what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And, and we're just kind of trying to pull these ideas and, um, you know, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. When you started playing amplified violin and I started playing, uh, I started in the, in the late Mm nineties. So probably after you did, but when, this is all pre-internet, really. Mm-hmm. Um, pre, I guess the internet was sort of a thing, but we weren't using it to connect with each other on that level yet. There wasn't no, social media. Not nearly the um, same way. And, you know, I was the best electric violinist in Beaumont, Texas. But, you know, that and a nickel will get you a cup of coffee. It's um, <laughs> And, and the, I find out later that so many of my heroes, the Mark Woods and the Tracy Silvermans and the Joe Denizons of the world, we were sort of doing a lot of parallel path evolution mm-hmm. on on these different sounds. Um, 
just imagine if we had been all tied together at that point where mm. electric violin would be now. I know. So imagine 20, 25 years from now, I've got friends in Romania and friends in the Ukraine and friends in Japan and mm -hmm. friends in Africa that are doing all this cool stuff. And we're feeding off of each other and learning from each other. Mm -hmm. I think the art and the science, like you said, are going to advance much, much more quickly now. It, it, it will, for sure. And it is. We're seeing it, right? We're really seeing it. And we're seeing, you know, some new inventions, new um, technologies that we haven't seen before. And it's getting there faster. It's getting out faster to this community. And, um, you know, that's just, it's awesome. It's really, yeah, really good. Yeah, so there's good. roughly 5,000 people on that platform now. Yeah, we're going to break 5,000 this week in, in probably tomorrow. It's, we're at, uh, as of today, we were at five hundred and uh, uh, 4,990 so we have 10, wow. 10 people to go so to break the 5000 mark so yeah and, yeah. and we re we refer people to that page a lot it's one of those places where if you have a question about electric strings somebody on that page if the answer is known somebody on that page knows the answer mhm mm and uh and of course some of these things are opinions and so there's 5000 people there's probably 20000 opinions on there mhm mm um, and that's fine. That's, that's the beauty of art. It's sort of where science and art collide is there are, there's a hundred right answers and there's a thousand wrong ones. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we're, we're going to talk about all of them. Yeah. I think it's great. If, if people are listening to this podcast, one of the greatest ways to get an answer to your question is use the search bar in that group. That's the best way. Cause, cause I, I, I can pretty much guarantee that any question that you have has already been asked on the group. All you have to do is use the search bar and just put your question in the search bar and it will come up uh, if it's been asked and all the oh, answers will be there. Point. Yeah, it's it's really great way to get an answer even before. I mean, it's obviously we, we want to just keep posting out questions there because... Um, things keep moving forward, right? And things sure. keep changing and growing and we keep getting new innovations. But, um, you know, if it's a question about how, you know, where do I put uh, compression in my pedal board? That's been asked, right? That's been asked. <laughs> a few thousand times. Yeah. yeah. That's been asked. Or what's the best delay pedal? You know, that's been asked. It's been asked a million yeah. times. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's fantastic. It's brought a lot of joy and, um, you know, again, it, it's just one of those things where it's a passion of mine and it's been a passion of not just mine, but many people, right, who are part of the group. This has been a passion of theirs. And so that's why they all want to be a part of it. So, yeah. Well, you're doing a great job of keeping the atmosphere there super supportive. And I think the, the culture, um, you know, violinists can be a cantankerous bunch. Um, but I think you've done a fantastic job, at least of, of policing and, and helping to build a supportive culture. Cause I really haven't seen a lot of nonsense on there. I don't know if you're weeding it out or whether you've just sort of built the atmosphere to where people just know better. Yeah. I think, you know, I like the word, first of all, cantankerous. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've earned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think most of all, there's been a little bit, just a tiny bit of policing, you know, people trying to post, you know, some things, but, um, 
one of the things that I, I, you know, again, to the whole group I try to do is it's about electric strings. So I never post anything that has, uh, that, that isn't electric strings. Cause then it, it becomes not a, it doesn't become a helpful group. It get, there's just a lot of other stuff there. That's not, so it is very laser focused. And I think that's really something people really love about the group is there's not a lot of extra stuff there. Um, and it's not, um, it's not run by any, 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 um, manufacturer or it's a very, it's a place where everybody has a voice. And I think that's yep. a beautiful thing. Um, you know, if there was, you know, you know what I'm talking about? If, yep, it, if you're trying to push a product through it all the time, then people can see right through that. So it's, it's a, it's a place that's, it's, it's a place for everyone to, to yep. share doesn't matter if you're a big, big player or a small player, you're all equal. And um, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing too. So, There's a song on there called East of Sinai. And it's probably the darkest song in the whole album. It pretty much just sounds like a war zone at the end. It completely falls apart and just, and it starts out, there's uh, East of Sinai, there's a prelude to it. Um, and then it goes into, which is really just an open, really uh, movie soundtrack kind of improv and then it goes into this really dark kind of spy spy tune and I, I was thinking of the story of the spies it's a it's a bible story the spies that went in from out of um, out of Egypt you know during um, uh, Joshua and Caleb and uh, when they, they were basically two guys along with some other guys that went into the promised land they were sent out by Moses if you know the story and um, they went into the into the promised land, and they were um, basically east of Sinai, east of the desert, and they were um, really scared by these big giants in the land and the walled cities. And basically, it was just it's this idea of venturing out into the unknown in faith. And um, uh, so that's kind of you know a, a little bit of, of, of sort of a bit of the background of that song. lot of review videos in my capacity at electric violin shop as we bring products in we want to review those products mm -hmm. <clears throat> but again like you're saying people know that i'm trying to sell these products and where I, i've always valued authenticity over like 
because 98% of our business is online. Mm -hmm. And if you buy something from us and you've got access to the internet and it's not what I told you it was, it's really easy for you to tell people, hey, this Matt, guy, this Matt Bell guy is full of crap. And if my, if my, um, the word I'm looking for, uh, my um, believability is, is shot, then I can't sell anything else. Mm -hmm. But that's, um, I think some people will say, all right, electric violin shop says this, but they're trying to sell stuff. Here's this guy, Trevor Dick, who's doing review videos and he's not trying to sell anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so talk about some of the review videos that you've done. I think probably the most, the most watched video on your YouTube channel is your pedal board review, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's, we know that the best reviews are reviews by people that aren't being paid to do that review, right? So, um, there's nothing in it for them. They're purely just putting a review out there that is, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but just transparent. Uh, there's a lot of integrity to that review. It's purely, this is what it is. And you decide as the listener, whether or not you like this or not. And, uh, it's not like, this is the best pedal and go buy it. It's not that right. And, um, and I have a very different perspective, even when it comes to electric violins. Um, I really look at electric violins as, um, and pedals for that matter. I have a really good friend, Tony Lind, he's a, he's a guitarist in my band, the Trevor Dick Band, and he's just a genius with pedals, okay? And I've learned a lot from him. Um, like, he's one of these absolute geniuses where he can make any pedal sound amazing. And it, it, can, be, it can be, honestly, a $50 pedal off the shelf at a Long Equator in Canada, and he can just tweak it in and just get it working just beautifully. You don't have to buy this really expensive boutique pedal to get a really good sound. It's, it's about learning how to use it and tweak it and get into the guts of that pedal to make it work for you. And so, um, and, and, and even when it comes to my perspective about electric violins, there's a lot of fantastic electric violins on the market and every electric violin has a very unique sound. It's kind of like, well, you know, if you're a guitarist, you know, most guitars have multiple instruments and they choose an instrument according to even the song or the style they're doing. And I kind of look at violins that way. I don't think you. I, I don't think it's right to say this is the only violin that you should play, or you know, this is the best violin, or whatever. That's the wrong approach. I look at it like uh, colors and a paintbrush and doing other kinds of art form. You're wanting to craft um, a sound and a, a, a tapestry and colors and tones that. Um, that are going to work for the art that you're producing. And that might take this in instrument or that instrument or, or whatever, or a combination of a few and, um, and different pedals and that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, I'd love to review every electric violin there is on the market and just let people hear that. And, um, my reviews are very high quality. I, uh, you know, I probably, I mean, I did that one review of the, uh, NSCR five string and the, uh, Viper together. And, um, Honestly, yeah, it, it ended, video. ended up, I mean, I was kind of humming and hawing and it wasn't the greatest. Um, you know, I was fairly early on in my, um, my, my sort of approach, didn't do as much editing and I'm learning, you know, as I go, but, um, it was, and it's probably a way, 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 way too detailed for most people. But I, I re-released that review as just like, uh, a seven minute clip for people that don't have the time to watch all 35 minutes of the original right. video where I really go into detail. 
And, um, but those are the kind of reviews I love doing. It wasn't sort of like, I didn't, I didn't say this is the best instrument. You decide what's, these are two very great instruments. They're very similar in some ways in terms of the ergonomic properties, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but they're also very, very different from each other. I happen to play this one, but this is also great. Yeah. yeah, that's that's where I try and to do with my And that's kind of my approach. Too. It's uh, you know, when people ask, "Well, what's the best whatever?" You go, "Man, that that's the wrong question." Mm-hmm. Because the the right question is, "What's the best for me for what I'm going to use it for?" Mm-hmm. You know, you ask a carpenter, "What's the best tool?" He goes, "Well, it depends on what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to cut a piece of wood, it may be a fantastic screwdriver, but it's not good at cutting wood." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the reality so, is we don't have money to buy every violin. You know, they're really expensive. A lot more expensive, honestly, than, you know, the average guitars. You can buy, you know, you can get $1,000 guitars and they're great. They're $500 guitars and they're, they sound great. I know people who perform on $500 guitars. But, yeah, when you're getting into the high-end violins, you're, you're looking into thousands and uh, it's a totally different story. And, and, yeah, we only have a budget, right, as, as you know starving artists as we're yeah. called you know for for one axe you know and budgets uh, are, a, are a real thing yeah so it becomes a real thing it's also an image thing it's an image thing it's true because i um you know you 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 might you might have that rock image then you're going to want that you know maybe you're going to maybe want the viper look you know um yeah it depends on the style of music you're playing it depends on your audience it depends on a lot of things yeah. I even struggle with that idea of, you know, using, um, you know, the pedal that, uh, what is that? Are they called IRSs? What are those? Oh, the IRs. Our, yeah. IR uh, pedals that kind of um, instantly make an electric violin sound acoustic. See, I, I struggle with that. I know, I know the idea, mm-hmm. but we have an audience that are going to go, I can hear an acoustic <laughs> violin, but I see, I see an electric violin. I can I, like I understand as an artist why why this can be a good thing, but at the same time, it just doesn't connect with like if I'm going to play an acoustic violin and I want an acoustic sound, I'm going to just pick up my acoustic violin and mic it up really nicely and, and get the you know a really good pickup on there because it's the visual of an acoustic mm-hmm. with an audience that's that connection, and it's the diversity of picking up different instruments within a concert that give you this, uh, you're taking people on this journey and it's a visual journey, not just a, a, a tonal journey, a musical journey. So those IRs are great, but, um, and I can see people using them if they need to suddenly do an acoustic sound, you know, within the context of um, a rock concert or something. But the visual, you lose the visual suddenly. You do. Of picking up an acoustic guitar. Like, you know, Electric guitars don't do that. They switch to an acoustic guitar because it's a visual, there's an, a, vis, a visual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Godin came out with an acoustic, um, kind of like an acoustic electric that you could do both on. I, I know right. that, and some others have done that too. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's things that we try to do that just don't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, another thing that I, it's a bit of a pet peeve, and I'm kind of digressing here maybe, but... Um, a lot of electric, um, violin makers, manufacturers in the past have been trying to make electric violins sound like acoustic violins. 
Like there was, there, there was a whole, there has been a movement. Have you, have you found that? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Why? Well, as a guy who sells these things for a living, I can tell you the most common question we get is which one of these violins sounds the most like an acoustic. And I, and I'm with you. That boggles my mind. I don't even know what that means. Now I use IRs because I do a lot of church gigs and I love the functionality of my six string Viper and being able to get a violin, a viola and a cello sound sometimes. Yep. And then I kick a pedal and now it's a phaser and I kick another, but you know, so whatever. So I that like makes being a lot of sense have that in that context. In there. Yeah, totally. But as far as like, do I want, you know, what's the most acoustic sounding instrument? I'm like, uh, I mean, I get, I, I get it. Some, you know, the, the market is there for that. But, mm-hmm. but Ned Steinberger, who makes the violin that you play the most, the CR, that blows his mind too. He's like, the electric violin is a legitimate instrument. Like nobody mm-hmm. goes to the guitar store and says, and they're pointing at the tellies and going, which one sounds the most like a tailor? Exactly. Like nobody does no that. No one does that. So why, why in the world? And I think part of it is probably because we're fighting with this um, long tradition, this classical tradition of, of the violin, which is an incredible, incredible invention out of Italy, you know. I've been there to, 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 uh, you know, to Cremona where the, you know, these instruments were built and, uh, you know, it's, it was so beautiful there and they're suffering so much right now, but yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, there's this history and it's hard to, it's been hard to break out of that. And, and even electric violins and uh, violin and ma- manufacturers in the past, especially in the early days felt like in order to market this, they're trying to market it to symphony players hey you could play this violin still with your symphonic music you know but you know outside so it can be amplified or whatever you know what i'm saying but yeah that's a that's an application but anyway that's just yeah yamaha has been very much in that realm where yamaha i think they're they're corporate people that that direct the product development mm-hmm. are very much of the mindset that this is a thing we're going to market to acoustic players that feels like your acoustic and it's got the outline of your acoustic in it it's got, you know, it's got all these acoustic, it's acoustic, 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 um, that Yamaha has been very much in the forefront of that. And yeah. I, you know, I guess their marketing people know what they're doing because we sell more Yamahas than anything else. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think if we were to market and look at the instrument as a brand new instrument, you would end up with some new innovations and some new sounds and even For new sure. ways of picking it up and, and things like that. So, which we are that- seeing. We are That's seen. definitely been Ned Steinberger's approach, that yeah. this is a whole different thing that is a, I'm not trying to sound like an acoustic violin. Now, I will say one of the things that so many electric violins out there, if you go to, to uh, eBay or whatever, and you find these little $100 things, Infentes and all these little things from China that catch on fire and they break in five minutes and they sound terrible. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think a lot of people have heard these awful sounding electric violins are just screechy and thin and nasty. And they're like, oh, I don't want to sound like that. If -hmm. that's what electric violin is, I don't want to sound like that. So I think it's helpful. Um, When I talked to Tracy Silverman for this podcast, he said, those of you that are playing electric, please, please, please go spend some money. Because if you sound bad, you're going to make people think that I sound bad too. When mm-hmm. they see a picture of me with electric violin, they're going to go, I've, I've heard an electric violin. Those things sound terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, we just need a lot more great players out there playing great instruments, and um, that will change that whole outlook and that view of the electric violin. And there's, you know, fortunately, there's more and more great examples every day. A Yangba Village Market is a, a market my dad used to. A Yangba is a little town in Nigeria. And it was a market my dad used to go to to buy groceries and things for us as a family uh, when he was a missionary in Africa. So there's a lot, there's a lot of kind of stories behind every song. I want to I want to go back onto something that you said before and and talking about all these different instruments for different applications um, and then MIDI violin. You're mm-hmm. a guy that has a nice collection of violins, not just the blue one that was made for you and, and the NS, the CR that you play, but mm-hmm. you've got a nice collection of instruments. And one of those is a Cantini MIDI violin. And I know that you use a lot of those MIDI capabilities on stage because you've talked about that. We're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about your MIDI journey and what your thoughts are on 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 all that. Well, the very first MIDI violin I played actually was a friend that had the uh, Zeta and the, the the whole MIDI system that Zeta had put out. I think it was called the Synth Synthony or mm-hmm. it was a yep, rack mount Synthony. And I, I used that on my very first album. I just borrowed it for the album. Back then, the uh, you know the instrument and the rack mount and the whole package was worth like twenty thousand dollars or something crazy back then. And then you know, and so there's no way I could have afforded to 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 own that myself. So I just borrowed it for that first album, and it was pretty neat. And you know what? And that was like my very first. That was like twenty years ago. And honestly, uh, MIDI technology has not moved moved any further. Um, it's it's no closer further along than it was twenty years ago. Um, that as far as I, I'm concerned, I mean, yes, there's more, you know, there's more pedals, uh, you know, now they, now they have a MIDI violin that can drive the, you know, the GR 55, um, pedal and, you know, these are all good things, good innovations. It's made it a little bit more accessible. They're a lot cheaper, uh, like yep. less expensive. I don't, I don't mean cheaper as in quality, but just less expensive, and so, and there's a lot more players now on the market. It's not just Zeta, but there's, uh, quite a few others that are, starting to build, you know, and, and Cantini is one of those. And, um, 
so I, I decided back, I, I, took a, I took a risk with Cantini way back about six years ago for my New World album. I purchased um, one of the earlier models of, of Cantini MIDI violin. I just thought I'd, I'd use it on a few tracks of, uh, of the New World album. And, um, and I, I did a, you know, a couple solos on the album with it and, and kind of doubled some parts, kind of some fat kind of... Um, kind of Moog synth-ish kind of things, and it worked well, but it still really wasn't, um, there's still tracking issues, there's still, um, you know, I mean, the instrument is a great instrument, um, and again, it's developed and got better and better with every, every. Uh, um, I've got the latest model that just came out as well, and I, I released a, a demo video on that instrument mm -hmm. as well. And, um, you know, it's great, but there's still issues, as you know, like there's, um, it's tough. The, the issue is this, we haven't figured out the, the violin is a triggering. It's a, it's a, it's, it's like, a it's really like an embellished mouse on a computer, right? Like it's, it's a triggering device and, and we've, tr we can trigger on off, right? Mm -hmm. But we can't trigger volume control with the bow. They haven't done that because the MIDI pedal that we're using is meant to be uh, used on a guitar, first of That's all. That's right. It's a GR55, so it's meant to be triggered by a guitar. How is a guitar played? With the percussiveness of a pick. Right. Once you commit to a note, you pick the note. That's the note. There's a length, and it stops. But the great, incredible thing about electric strings is that once you make the note, you can actually, you can actually change the volume of the note and even the tonal structure of the note. If you, you know, what I'm saying, yes, Absolutely. yes, the GR55 picks up vibrato, so that's something in the, you know, in the porridge of sound or whatever is happening, right. all the different stuff that's happening with that sound. Um, uh, they're able to track that, but they're not tracking, they're not tracking volume. So, uh, that's an issue. And that's an issue that I'm sure that we could fix if there were the right people that, um, that, that got behind that and the innovators that could help us with that. The other part for me too, is that with a guitar or a piano, the other two instruments that, that really work well with MIDI, mm -hmm. there's a very defined start to each note. There's a nice hard transient at the beginning of each note. And as violinists, that right hand and those of us who, who, who have a nice smooth right hand, that, that note doesn't always have a super defined start to exactly. it. And that's on purpose, right? That's exactly. part of my expressiveness with my right hand, but that's the part that really works against you in a MIDI situation. Yeah. You have to play more percussively with the MIDI. Mm -hmm. uh, MIDI. you got to give every, every note a bit of a percussive start and more definition. So you actually play the instrument in a very different way. So it's got a ways to go. Not only that, but because of, um, overtones and and sympathetic vibration of other strings because as you know mm. if you play an e on the d string your open e is ringing sympathetically that's the For one sure. of the incredible things about strings is sympathetic vibration i mean the science behind that's just incredible right like just right. it really is it's a beautiful thing get a whole orchestra tuned in together 
you, the whole orchestra comes alive with sympathetic vibration. But that goes against you on a MIDI violin because suddenly your E is ringing and you got another another yep. tone kind of, you know, going crazy. And uh, the way around that, you know, was to uh, it was to, to 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 do pickups on the on these MIDI violins. Like Zeta was very good to define just only the note that's being played. And yeah, it's it's there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and and we're still not quite there yet. But um, yeah, it'd be neat to really really figure that out. But no you know, it's not for everybody. Right, it's not for everybody, but I I love I love being able to do some new innovative things and to kind of mix some, especially some more of the retro Moog, kind of synth kind of sounds and kind of add that into the mix. You can, you can do some pretty, pretty cool things now. But now there's these synth pedals out there now too that you can mm, trigger so via analog. Ones. I think you did a review of the SY300, right? I did. And, you know, I, I just have been so busy. I haven't had a chance to really get into the guts of that thing. But that thing is just a beast. Yeah. Like, it can do a lot. You can pretty much do... Because, really, there's two sides to the GR55, if you know. There's the analog synth sounds yep. in there. And there's the actual digital synth. The digital synth sounds in the GR55 don't trigger nearly as well. Uh, right. as the as the analog synth and it's the analog synth part of the gr55 that you're really getting in the sy uh series of pedals with uh the analog the s sy what is that and the 50 uh, sy was it sy 300 300 or 3000 yeah yeah well you know they released boss this year at um roland or boss i guess same company at at nam they released the new, was it the GT 1000? Okay. It's the new, uh, what's, it's a synthesizer and, and I'm blanking on the name. I'm going to have to drop a correction here in post narrator. It's the SY 1000, but it's, um, whatever the, it's a, it's a companion to the GR 55. Okay. And it actually has a quarter inch input as well as the, uh, the MIDI input. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a lot of really cool features, none of which mean anything to me. I'm a hard rock guy, mm -hmm. but, um, it, it's a pretty cool pedal and we've got one at EVS and I just haven't had time to really dive into it yet. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a little bit of a hybrid of the GR 55 and the SY 300. Yeah. Well, I, I really want to be able to do, for instance, what Pat Metheny does, you know, with his, um, synth, you know, guitar synth, uh, work that he's done in some of his albums, you know, just amazing, amazing stuff, amazing tones, amazing sounds. And, um, I think we've had, uh, you know, because the guitar world is such a much bigger world than the violin world. We just haven't, we kind of got the short end of the stick in certain terms of, um, manufacturers working for us and helping, helping to pro, uh, solve some of these problems, you know, I mean, for instance, I, we've had, we've had this conversation on the electric string page with a number mm -hmm. of people like, you know, Ben Heaney and a bunch of these guys on there that are really into this sort of interested in this. And, um, but one of the things on there, um, that we talked about was just, I don't know if you remember the EWI, EWI, it's, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's an electronic wind instrument made by Roland. And uh, they were able to trigger a lot, of, a lot of these things because it was based on breath, right? And breath control is very similar to the bow, 
If you look sure. at your bow, it's really like, and you can do with your breath what you can do with bow. You can do crescendo with your breath. That's why the violin is the closest instrument really to the human voice. Sure. Because you can, you're not just making a, a start and end of a tone. Like, you know, on the piano, it's like you play a note, it's fairly percussive. You can't crescendo and decrescendo that note during the course of the note. On the voice, you can. On the violin, you can. On a wind instrument, you can. Like a sax, a flute. And so they, they were able to use um, somehow the way they interface that iwi with MIDI, they're able to track that. If they mm. can do it on an iwi, they can do it on a MIDI. They should be able to For do sure. it on a, on a violin with a bow. So we just got to get some people working, working on that yeah. a little bit more. There are a few people working on a few things, which I think is cool. We've seen some of that on the ESP forum. Mm-hmm. When we did Change the World by Eric Clapton, yeah, and it's kind of like a, a real groove, a groovy sort of upbeat, bluesy, groovy sort of version of that. And uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to play, a lot of fun to, to do. Audiences, of course, love that one as well. And so everything on the album has something to do with um, renewal or hope in the middle of, of, of brokenness. appreciate you doing this this is a fantastic interview i've had a lot of fun doing this same here matt where can people find you and your music because they're out there surfing they're about to shut off this podcast and if they're smart they're gonna go they're gonna go google you where where do they find your music and your and your videos well it's everywhere so i'm on every every download site you can imagine so from spotify to you know, iTunes to, um, I mean, the, the place that I get paid the most, if people want to support me the most, <laughs> is CD Baby. So they, they give the biggest cut to the artist. Um, so you can get all my music on CD Baby. And um, I can give you, you know, I could give you a link to that or whatever if you want on this podcast, if you want to. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, there's a link. My, my websites are trevordick.com and trevordickband.com trevordickband is is the music i do mostly new world touring and that kind of stuff and um trevordick.com uh, is just my my artist page and um i also um direct a non-profit organization i do a lot of work i'm the executive director of a non-profit we're a group of artists that are doing a lot of outreach around the world and across canada and um it's more the mission work that i do mm -hmm. And um, 
and the arts advocacy and outreach that I do through uh, through music and the arts. And we're a large family of over um, about 25 artists, not just musicians, but painters and dancers and where we're using the arts and outreach. So it's a really cool, really cool group. It's called flyingbow.com. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm the executive director and one of the artists with that. I founded that 10 years ago. So that's kind of one of the main things that I also do on the side as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you hopefully when this quarantine lifts. I, I would love for you to be able to come down and hang out in uh, in Durham, North Carolina. we got a guest suite here at the house. Just come stay. I'd love to do that, Matt. It'd be, it'd awesome. be an honor. I really appreciate all that you're doing as well. And, uh, you know, you're a real brother. So, yeah, likewise. Thanks. Well, that's it. That's another episode of Rockstar Violinist in the books. Thank you all for going on this journey with us. I've actually done the next interview you're going to hear, believe it or not, and I cannot wait to release it. It's a banger. So right now, enjoy a little more Trevor Dick music. Go buy his album on CD Baby. Or if you don't have that, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. But CD Baby's where he gets paid the most. And we'll see you next month for another Rockstar Violinist. Violinist.